Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is wearing his heels. You want to see a healthy league because hopefully that will contribute to a healthy England. I, I do think along the way they're going to have to revolutionise maybe central contracts in England. You know, I think the RFU spends something like uh, 35 to 40 million to the Premiership every year. In theory, they could buy 30 contracts of players for a million each, make stars and superstars out of these guys. You know, Quinn's boys didn't like. Saracen didn't not not they didn't like the players. They didn't like what Saracen stood for. I think a lot of it's envy. Let's be fair. We've both been involved in Saracens, and it is the best club. Eddie obviously has a certain style of of, of how he coaches, and how he how he manages. Um, for me, he got he, he helped me become a much better coach for sure. We've got the players. We've got the talent. Good coaching group. England have got the players to win the World Cup. On this episode, I'm joined by a former teammate of mine, but also a former coach. It's the wonderful Paul Gustad. It's brilliant to have you in, Gus. Obviously, for the listeners, I played with you back in the day yeah. at Leicester, but more fondly and more recently, you were the defence coach at Saracens and created the Wolfpack, which then has gone on to be... A globally recognised thing. And yeah. I say that because Al Hargreaves and Chris Walls have set up a beer company called Wolfpack Lacquer as well. That's so. right. It's a good drop. It, it's a good man, drop. Yeah. yeah. The, the Pilsner is. The Lager's not. You have three or four of them. You're not a fan. Of the Lager? Yeah. That's all right. So I'm not selling that, am I? No, mate. No, no I, I'm a Pilsner. I'm, a, I'm an old school Carlsberg. Okay. People's captain as well. Something a bit more refreshing. We were just talking about the state of play at rugby at the minute, mm. so we may as well share it to the yeah. listeners on here. You're at Stade Francais, yeah. and what we were talking about was how it's this microcosm of success in rugby. Like You're there now, you've done a bit in Italy, England, yeah. at Saracens, Leicester, London Irish. What is it about France that it's just so good? Look, I, I think I think the passion for the game is so huge. Um, obviously, we see it with the crowds. You see it with the energy, the atmosphere. It's it's like going to a, almost like an international match when you go to some places like Toulouse or um, Bordeaux or Lyon or somewhere like that. That the, the crowd is fanatical, and a lot of the places they don't compete with football. So in Paris, obviously, there's a lot more attraction with the city. There's tourism and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, PSG is a big team there, of course. Um, but most of the teams in the South, there isn't a football team there to compete. So I think it's kind of their, their thing, their main thing. And we see a lot of, we spoke about it a bit before, but a lot of diversity in the players as well, you know, cultural diversity, uh, ethnicity. And I think that people can identify with that. And, and, and they come and watch, mate. And they come in thousands and thousands and thousands, Jim. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's like a tribalism, yeah. isn't it? Like... I know certain teams like Leicester have that, one of the most watched teams if it's on TV, yep. Northampton, Gloucester, Bath. There is a part of that in England, 
But in France, like you said, it's just like La Rochelle. Yeah. I mean, what did you say to me that they've yeah, sold out? 77 games in a row. 17, we played pre-season, pre-season game, get this, pre-season game, so it's a friendly. They were already in the stands before we got there, an hour before, like the place was pumping and that's 17,000 for a friendly match. Mm. It was it was crazy. The atmosphere was electric. It was obviously the first time that the team had played after the European win. So I guess it's the first chance to see their heroes and so on. But again, La Rochelle, there's, there's nothing else. You know, it's a little uh, place on the, on the on the beach, of course, but it, there's nothing else. It's the, it's the rugby is the thing. Um, so it's supported so huge and, and the players are stars, you know, and I think that also kind of helps as well foster kind of um, sensationalism around the sport. Because that's something else we were talking about in terms of how do we grow the game. So if we just go back a little bit around concussions, uh, around losing two teams in the Prem in yep. Worcester and Wasps, are you hearing, are you feeling any of that in France or not? Or I know there's a language barrier, but yep. with all the drama and the chaos yep. that's happening over here, it just looks like, again, France is closed off to that commercially from a participation point of view. Where it's carnage over the water here. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, most of the teams are actually uh, owned by individual owners, like you know, and they're all not just millionaires, but billionaires. You know, we're owned by the guy that owns Capri Sun, for example. Um, you've got uh, many owners of that kind of wealth across the league. So it's not necessarily a sustainable model because, again, the clubs lose money, but it is sustainable because they have so much money that they can afford to do it. And it's their passion. It's, it, in, in France, it's, um, the, the thing is their rugby. And you can see that, particularly in the South, like we said, you see it. So I think they're very willing to spend the money, uh, but what they want is success. So you do see a higher turnover of coaching staff, playing staff, and so on ourselves. Obviously, at the Paris, we're changing our coaching staff. Um, but it's 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 just supported so well financially that they're able to continue to do things because they do sell out crowds. And the town itself leases the stadium to the to the rugby team for, for, for next to nothing. Yeah, and they've got a big TV deal as well. Maybe that's Good, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Because I'm trying to work out, in my mind, and again, not that I'm changing my mind on things, but I'm like, rugby in England needs more money thrown at it. You yeah. do need people to come in with open checkbooks. And again, we were talking about Exeter. There's clearly something going on with Tony Rowe and the finances there because they've had a change of direction. Yeah. And they're obviously talking about they're in a transition cycle of players. We all know what happened at Saracens, the whispers that were happening happening at Leicester, Newcastle pulling back. Yeah. Whereas my opinion is, in sport, and you're much well-read than me, because so it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on that. You are, <laughs> uh, and you've been around the different well, I've, leagues. I've read a book, so yeah. <laughs> well, there you <laughs> go, you now, definitely have. I'm already ahead of you. Exactly. And also in Italy as yeah. well, where there is a decent a bit of money. Is money the thing? Is, num is money with the success the number one fix, or do you think there's a longer-term plan needed? Well, look, look I mean, fundamentally... Money is an answer, but throwing more money at it if it's sustainable has to be the other side of it because obviously we see here with Wasps and Worcester, you know, it's tragic, right? You know, clubs, the amount of people losing jobs um, and it's it's difficult and no one wants to see a league that's struggling and tendencies in the premiership are going down. You want to see a healthy league because hopefully that will contribute to a healthy England. I, I do think along the way they're going to have to revolutionise maybe central contracts in England. You know, the, I think the RFU spends something like... Uh, 35 to 40 million to the premiership every year they could buy in theory they could buy 30 contracts of players for a million each make stars and superstars out of these guys of your Marcus Smiths your Don Browns your own Farrells Maratoges and so on and make them stars and then give them back to the clubs and, and manage a programme to get England to be um, a more consistent world force you know I, I think there's something that could be done 
unless there's more owners willing to lose more money, which I don't think there is, then the game has to shrink a little bit, I think, financially, because otherwise teams teams will go under. What are the differences between the Premiership, and let's go with France now, yeah. and then we'll maybe talk about Italy, yeah. um, as a coach? Um, in terms of? In terms of access to players, yeah. in terms of how you manage the emotion of players, the, the relationship with the French Rugby Federation yeah. compared to you know, being head coach and you've got the RFU and, and the money and the amount of games and yeah. just the general relationship. Because I imagine in France, it, again, this is a stereotypical thing to say, emotion-led, or is there a structure there? A bit, a bit of both, really. There's definitely that Latin temperament that, um, you know, you can get passion, um, you know, and you get almost too much passion at times and it's it's reactionary. But they are, you know, there's a lot of things I always used to think when I watched French rugby play where suddenly someone just starts picking a go in the middle of the field. But actually, when I got to, to start, it's actually a part of a plan. There are three or four different attack shapes, and they'll call it in that pick-and-go type of play or attack on either side of the rock is that part of their attack. So they do have a lot more structure than maybe you think. Um, I think what you also see in the league is there's more diversity of playing style. And what I like about the French League compared to the Premiership at the moment is relegation. I think I think the feeling of pressure, um, that the cost of the game could go either for you or against you is so big that you can feel it on the field. The players can feel the pressure of performance. Where you take away relegation, and you might be seeing more points in the league, but I think it's only four teams in the Premiership. Maybe the positive points difference. You know, like it's it's, it's unbelievable. You, I mean, weekend there was like an eighty point game, sixty point game, a fifty point game. It's going in a direction, I think, in the Premiership, unless you know the, the relegation is reintroduced and you can start seeing more competitive fixtures, I think. So that's what, that's what I really like about France, is going back somewhere where there's relegation, there's something on it every day, either the bottom, the middle, or the top, there's something competing. So there's a top six, there's a middle trying to get into the top six, and there's guys trying to make sure they don't get relegated. Well, there's jeopardy throughout the whole season, which 100%. is entertainment. And drama, and, and, and drama, drama. Right. And drama. Love, I love a bit of drama. Yeah, of course. I like it. We grew up watching football, right? Um, well, you a version of football, or Coventry for you, I suppose. But, but, <laughs> we were good, but we were good back in the <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, you were all right, mate, you're right. We've got Saudi money now in the Newcastle, mate, so we're we're laughing but there was always promotion relegation three teams down three teams up you know and the, the excitement all the time and as English people we grew up with that kind of feeling of pressure performance and stuff and I think I think that can only help people to, to get to another level of, of of performance themselves with the need to perform and uh, I think you know I really enjoy that aspect in France. Talking of drama and pressure when we were at Saracens together one of the things I talk about is the storytelling aspect, the way that yourself and Al Sanderson used to deliver to the lads. It was so engaging. I was really surprised to see you leave. And you look at the drama that kind of unfolded for you after that and the pressure of being a coach. Can you just give us a kind of snapshot of you're at Saracens, we're at the top of our game, and then you leave in that moment probably because you were so well wanted mm. around the globe, I suppose. <clears throat> and then just the process to get to this point now, because there's been a bit of chopping and changing, but yeah. you seem happy now in Paris. No, I'm, I'm happy, mate. Look, one thing, one thing I think is important in life is you've got to look forward, you know? So if I, if I keep looking back at things, things I got wrong, you know, things I did, did that I, would, I wish I did different, but a lot of things I was quite happy with, with how I, how I was and how I conducted myself and so on. But, um, Saracens, I left purely for the opportunity to coach England, mate. It was uh, it was it was a once in a lifetime opportunity potentially. Um, I never played international rugby. I played a couple of times for England, but non non cap games. Played England A and sevens and that kind of stuff, but never 
sat in camps all the time and going away on tours all the time. So I really wanted to experience that uh, as a coach. And also I kind of thought, like you, we've got some kids growing up fast. And I thought that if my son one day goes, who did you coach? And I go, oh, Saracens and Harlequins and London Irish. Do you ever coach England? No, no, I got asked once. Oh, why didn't you do it? And I, and I thought if I was going to answer that question to my son, I'd rather regret the things I do do in life than the ones I don't. Just on England? Yes. Yeah. Was it as good as you thought it would be? And it will bring me on to the million-dollar question that everyone always asks with working with Eddie and the massive turnover of coaches. Dream job. Like, you've come from Saracens, yeah. we're winning things, <laughs> yeah. wicked environment, to what would be perceived as the greatest job, arguably in rugby. Yeah. To go there, to take the Wolfpack to England, everything that comes with that, not just financially, but the profile and the pressures and yeah. playing in the Six Nations yeah. and World Cups. Was it what you expected? Yeah, and, and more, and more. Really? Like, I, I really enjoyed it, mate. You know, like, Eddie obviously has a certain style of of, of how he coaches and how he, how he manages. Um, for me, he, got, he, he helped me become a much better coach, for sure. He helped me become a much, much better coach. And I think you see the amount of stuff, although there's been a turnover, a lot of the staff have gone on to different things and better things uh, and, and and got bigger roles elsewhere. So he's definitely helped people. Um, you know, we, I think, equaled the world record for number of wins. The first first time I was there, 18 wins with New mm -hmm. Zealand. Uh, you know, Grand Slam first year, uh, Six Nations win the second year, first series win in Australia ever. It's crazy. All these things keep going yeah, because yeah. Like, there were so many positives that people forget. Yeah, mate. Like Eddie, I mean, look at Eddie's win record, mate, was, was astronomically mm. high. You know, the highest of any English coach. Uh, we had second ever series win in Argentina, um, which is difficult to go to at times, unbeaten in the autumn series. So there's lots of it. Just the last year, we kind of fell off fell off the horse a little bit, you know, and, and we lost, we were stuttering a little bit. We we tried different things. Physically, we were really pushing the team in the Six Nations block, leading up to a World Cup a year and a half away. In doing that, we did things like uh, humidity training. Well, the boys are playing in a week's time and they're, you know, they're putting the body through something pretty severe to prepare them for a year and a half time. So we started doing things. We we had uh, the boys talk, talk about being like the seven nations. We played Georgia uh, midweek in between Wales and Scotland. Oh, I heard about that. Big yeah. fights kicking off. Yeah, and... it, was, it was heavy. We got to a stage where George Ford dropped a goal because we were losing, mate. We had to, <laughs> we had to put a drop goal over. But it was it was tough. And the boys were physically tired, you know. And Because that was the rumour that came out of the England camp, that the lads were just getting absolutely beasted. Yep. And yeah. the reason was you're saying is because it was around the World Cup cycle. Yeah, so so Eddie's Eddie's plan when we first went in, the first thing he said to the team, I, I remember it as clear as mud, is like, you are the first people that had the chance to win the World Cup for England. And all he spoke about, we're on a journey now for four years, you've got the shirt, it's going to be yours that you can lose, you know. So for, for the very outset, it was all about winning the World Cup in four years' time. As we went through cycles, of course, we have to win along the way. You can't just wait for four years to win. You have to have some success. But then in the in the year and a half before, we really tried, or Eddie's vision was to really try and push the physical conditioning, the last kind of big jump before the World Cup year, because then he had a different plan for what he wanted to do. Tactically, he wanted to focus on attack, try and do a lot more unstructured play to, to, to make sure that we could compete with the likes of New Zealand, knowing that defence and set piece would come because it's it's what English can do pretty well, you know. So a lot of focus was on attack and we had to try and make a, a time work with defence and set piece. So look, I, I loved that. I only left, mate, because we had our third kid and it was a difficult kind of uh, birth, not for me personally, obviously, <laughs> but uh, for my wife. And unfortunately, like a year before, my my cousin had a kid uh, who was who had, a, had an illness and she passed away during the Six Nations. So we had this thing going on during the Six Nations around um, performance not being great. 
my head was in a complete spin, just had Sukiya, our, our youngest. And I kind of felt like I needed to be at home. If something happened to her and I was away, then I thought, at least I've got a choice with what I do with my life. I, I need to get out. So I asked Eddie if I could go. And then I always had the opportunity of Harlequins, which was a great experience. Um, you know, and, and you know, ch changed the fortune of the team around, really. With the 11th, when I joined, we finished fifth and sixth the first two years. But unfortunately, we had COVID, uh, which changes everything, how you can, you know, manage, how you can get a team together, how you get unity, uh, all those kind of things amidst a salary cap coming down. We also had a high player turnover because what was asked of me was to change the squad. Uh, we needed a different direction. When I arrived there, I got given a big dossier that did an internal review and had this big dossier of uh, a blueprint, really, of what they felt was going wrong and what direction and what they wanted from this person coming in, uh, which was which was then me, obviously. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a difficult time with COVID, I think. I think a lot of people found that hard, you know, personally yourself you find it quite hard I'm a driven person I enjoy work I enjoy I enjoy the challenge of it uh, I enjoy the the need to compete and I didn't have that so personally it's it's difficult so I spent you know months doing more zooms more more learning more reading uh, speaking to the coaches uh, got a got a mindset coach so I was trying everything uh, we changed the coaching stuff around a bit to try and get something else you know to try and really fight for for the for fight for the title on a regular basis and then um it was clear that probably the relationship with me and the CEO wasn't a strong one. Mm -hmm. um, so although they, they offered me a contract extension, we, we shook on actually in a, in a bar in Wimbledon, but then I never ended up signing it. And I kind of felt, um, and I remember going back to, to Laura, my wife, I remember going back to her one day saying, this this isn't going to work out well for me here. Um, so we started looking abroad and, I, and I, I signed eventually, I signed for Italy. I spoke to a couple of national teams, spoke to some teams in France, but I just had this kind of connection with, Benetton there was kind of a feeling and maybe on a on the rugby side of things it looks quite a strange move but financially it was very good for me uh, lifestyle for the for the kids it seemed very good and you know Fabio um Fabio Ongaro like he was there he was a big thing for me because he's such a warm-hearted good person and I kind of felt of the year I'd had at Harlequins the last year with the COVID and all the rest of it I kind of felt like I needed some some warmth and some loving you know and and I, and I found that Italy then, obviously, of course, I moved. Uh, I moved a year later. I signed a three-year deal in Italy, but the opportunity to go to Paris was was incredible. Probably Treviso itself is a very, very small town, and um, for those that like, say, Albans, it's very similar to say Albans or to York or something. You can walk around the entire city in forty minutes. And I think coming from London, for my wife in particular, she found it very difficult. You know, Mr. Friends, Mr. Family for sure, but just the amount of things that you can do was very limited. So Paris comes calling, and uh, there we are. Voila. I said, all done. Nothing more to I say. Voila. Voila. On the Harlequins thing, hmm. it was weird for me seeing you at the helm. I know ours at Sale, it doesn't feel as weird. I say that because I didn't realise how fierce the rivalry was between Saracens and hmm. Quinns. And maybe that got kind of built up because of the England thing. But certainly when I was at Saracens, there was this fierce rivalry, I'd say almost of hatred. Yeah. Um, maybe like Leicester, Northampton hmm. back back in the hmm. day. And then to see you go and coach there and, and the way that you coach as well. I mean, not that I know the psyche of mm. Harlequins, but the way that they were on the pitch and they used to speak and their demeanor around the referee. I was like, I wonder how Guzzi's going to fit in there and bring in this kind of wolf pack and bringing in the the poetry and, and the riddles and stuff, mm. which we all absorbed and mm. absolutely loved when it was Harrison's. For me, it was game changing. I loved it. But then it, you, you could kind of see, couldn't you? You could see because they had such big characters mm. because of the Saracens' <laughs> influence. Was there a little bit of that or not? Was it like because you had the 
bit with England in between, there yeah. was a bit of a break. Look, I, I, think, I think obviously, as you know, as you walk through this journey of life, you're looking for an opportunity or a challenge that excites you, stimulates you, and, and something that you really want to get your teeth stuck into. At the time, obviously, as I said, I had a personal reason to, to leave England. Um, you know, I missed out on the World Cup for that. But it was it was at the time I needed to be with my family more. I, I felt I needed to be around my kids. And Quinn's obviously allowed us to stay in London, you know, all the rest of it. I had some other opportunities at different clubs, but Quinn's was kind of struggling. And I felt that I could make a difference. You know, you've got to trust your, your, yourself and your ability and you, your skills as a coach. And I felt I could make a difference. And we did. We did, you know. And, and I'm happy with a lot of things that I did. I'm happy with a lot of things I did. But I did recognise, even when I went to England, when I first, when I first went there from Saracens, you know, Quinn's boys didn't like Saracens. Didn't, not, not they didn't like the players. They didn't like what Saracens stood for. I think a lot of it's envy. Let's be fair. We've both been involved at Saracens and it is the best club. Hmm. It is the best club, the best run club, uh, the best environment, the strongest culture. Um, you know, the, the, the memories that we've had from that club, uh, the career I've had from that club is all based on Saracens. You know, I've got nothing but thanks and gratitude for that. Um, and, and everyone's really trying to emulate them and copy them. You know, I'll be doing a version of Saracens at sale, right? Because he's seen it work. He himself is a humanistic person. And that's, that'll be his style of, of coaching. And everyone's trying to copy doing what Saracens do. And so I, I definitely felt, you know, you could see there was a there was an anger about the club. I think largely when Connor was at uh, Harlequins, there was obviously, um, you know, he was good friends with Brendan and Mark from London Irish, but they, they had a falling out over the over the salary cap or something. And he's quite vocal about it. And that filters down to the playing staff and, and, and everybody else. But yeah, I kind of I kind of enjoyed it, Jim. You know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed being at the top, um, at the top of the tree with the, with the head of rugby role. Um, had challenges. And unfortunately, like I said, after a year and a half, COVID happened. And the whole thing gets changed. You know, the whole thing gets changed. We had, you know, five months where no one was in the building. During that time, people were leaving at the end of their contracts. It disappeared. No proper goodbyes. It all felt a bit weird, you know. And then we come back for training. You're on, um, you know, 20 meters apart, running up and down the field with masks on and stuff. And it was very hard to engage people to get them together for a, for a social bonding, for an activity, um, and, and really try and drive a, a stronger culture because I brought in a lot of new players. And I needed them to connect, and we couldn't connect in the usual way that men do. Um, so I, I found that quite a challenge. Well, that was one of your biggest strengths, mm. I would say, and that was the uh, that people will be hating this. The minute you say Saracens, they probably just switch off because there's a lot of people out there that really dislike Saracens. But if they listen to this, they might like me. So yeah, we can stick with that. You use the uh, the word humanistic. That was a perfect <laughs> word to use. Probably how I see you, mm. and you won't remember this, but. When Jono, in 2011, just before, was England coach, we had a bit of a reunion in Leicester. Yeah. It might have been for Hambo's right. game, potentially. And I was running the line, then we all went out for a curry yeah. after. And I was sat opposite <laughs> yeah. you, and we'd yeah. had a few beers. Yeah. And you were chewing Jono's ear off about coaching, about England, about like how you put teams together. You don't remember. I could yeah. see you looking at him. I remember I it. remember the curry. I can't yeah. remember. I know, but I just, I thought, you know, like obviously it's Jono for us. He <laughs> yeah, was yeah. an absolute God, but yeah. then I worked with you yeah. and obviously looking at how you operated yeah. around the humanistic yeah. approach, but also the personal development. That was something that people listen to this probably wouldn't know because some coaches, we had Wayne Pivak in, you can yeah. see he was pretty straight laced. Yeah. On the flip side of that, we had George Groves who, spoke about boxing and he was the promoter he was his main trainer his nutritionist yeah. like everything but the humanistic approach for you is very similar to me yeah is around 
feeling love, yeah. giving love, yeah. and human connection, and also personal development. I know you're big on yeah. the personal development side of things, aren't you? Yeah. Look, I think, do you remember Mo Botha with the uh, most stuff branded uh, merchandise, which didn't take off, but <laughs> it was probably the most failed business that Saracen's <laughs> produced, right? But we had ELE, Everyone Loves Everyone. Do you remember? There's so many like little mantras you had. Uh, everyone it, needs love. Everyone needs love, mate. Everyone needs love. And I think that love, trust comes together hand in hand, doesn't it? If you, if you can genuinely care for somebody, then I think that people feel that, you know, that there's lots of different sayings around it, but fundamentally they don't care about what I know. They want to care about how much I care. And I think the more that people get connected at a deeper level, fosters trust, fosters um, uh, respect, uh, fosters humility. And I think we, if we have a genuine thing in the world, we've gone a bit deep here, I was a genuine thing in the world where people are more caring and more loving, then it's going to be a better place to be. In. And, and rugby is a, um, a small environment, small culture of that. And if we can replicate that more, that's kind of, for me, seems to fit me the best, as me, as a person, as a coach. I don't know other people are different. And this is, you're a northerner, right? Mm. But you're not like Wigan North. You're further I'm north than north, that. Mate, yeah, yeah, I know you're proper north, but maybe like Scottish Edinburgh. So you're going into that posh north. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because anyone from Wigan wouldn't be talking about this. But that part of it is, is because of the game that we play, I think. Like that yep. human connection. And having some fucking monster another human being at yeah. the weekend yeah. or back in the day during the week as well or twice a week and the weekend as well on a yeah. Monday night if you were me. But that... <laughs> I did that, a fair few Monday nights, mate. Don't worry about I that. Know. <laughs> I th look back on them with fond memories, yeah. you know, of what we had to do. But I think that that element of connection, rugby's such a unique sport yeah. and how you used to deliver the meetings and stuff yeah. like that and you'd engage Richard Barrington, for example, and then you'd have to engage... Uh, Owen Farrell yeah. at the opposite end of yeah. the spectrum. Not that either one of them's a better human, yeah. but they're just different. And understanding that, because yeah. when we were younger and we were at Leicester, yeah. it was like that was it. Yeah. You're fighting, you're hard, and that's it. But the evolution of humans and also the societal changes and every, all the different influences, yeah. it kind of came to it came to an end at Saracens. But I had the view from Leicester yeah. where it was like that. Then I had the view from Saracens where yeah. – very similar clubs in terms of success, yep. but the way from a human element it was managed, yep. whether or not it was organic, it was obviously manufactured like mo most cultures, but yep. that's the thing, even now, maybe because it was my last club that still sticks with me, yeah. and large parts of, of that are you, yep. and Al Sanderson, and obviously Mark McCall. Mark McCall wasn't a man willing to give out love, I yep. remember. Yep. I was looking for love a lot of the time. <laughs> it wasn't, but it just kind of worked. I think what happened, obviously, when Edwards and Brendan came in, they had a very clear vision. And and when you have clarity, you get confidence. So they had absolute clarity about the direction they wanted to take the team and the club. Off the back of it, Nigel Ray um, obviously supported their decisions. Uh, Nigel, obviously, fantastic, fantastic human being, great family, and supported Saracens and helped them develop to be this European powerhouse. You know, in, in, in you know, Toulouse, Leinster, Saracens, three best teams in the Northern Hemisphere by far by far, you know, and, and they've got something now for 15 years of continued unrivaled success, you know, and it comes off the back of how they treat people for, mm. for, for, for certain. Um, all the other bits, smoke and mirrors, really, the important thing is that they've, they've treated people well, they've treated people right, and therefore that's why we sit here and we can talk so fondly about things. We can talk about 
you know, probably your first uh, pre-season trip, <laughs> crawling on your hands and knees. Um, dressed as Spider-Man. Dressed as Spider-Man. Yeah, dressed I remember. Spider-Man. Iron Man was behind me, yeah. close. Yeah, I mean, chippy, you know, it just, you, you can, I can picture things and the memories we had were incredible and, and that they, they got it. They get it right so much. They get so much right that club. And and what works there might not work everywhere else in terms of their training pedagogy and, and that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, about how they treat people is it could work anywhere. What about the psyche of young men, mid twenties, thirties? You're still a very young man. Mm. As a coach, the biggest thing is motivating and keeping someone in the right mind set in your field which was to go and put your body on the line in yeah. defense yeah. for you as a coach was did you have to do a lot of reading a lot of understanding around that or was it like a natural thing where you knew how to motivate people i think it's interesting for people to listen how do you motivate young men with all everything that goes with that yeah look it's 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 definitely a skill it's definitely a skill it's something that some of it is organic and and, and empathy and, and feeling, uh, you know, sensing what's happening around you and observing, you know, taking time to observe people. Another bit is reading and understanding the direction of people and, and the pressures that young men are under uh, nowadays, particularly in elite sport as well. You know, there's a different pressure from just being a young man in this modern world. There's a pressure of performance in, in elite sport that can be quite disastrous with social media now. So I think I think the first thing is letting them know that you care is the first thing and genuinely having conversations with them about what they're like on their best day and what they're like on their worst day and what can you do to get them on their best day more often so i think having these deeper conversations with people will allow you the ability to connect uh, more often you're not always going to get it right of course but if you have some base understanding of how they best operate and also like i said important to understand their shadow when things go wrong what is the trigger that gets them wrong you know how can we how can we stay away from those kind of triggers and and um, actions that might put them in a space where they're going to they're going to be uh, ineffective either on the rugby field or in life um, so yeah I, I just think having good conversations with people might is, is, is a good base there's obviously some things around it in terms of length of meetings type of meetings uh, visual queuing and, and all that kind of stuff actually what you do but fundamentally base level is get to know them um, understand them observe them and then I think that gives you it gives you a good start I think only now having been retired and, and being a father of four and thinking about the ways it's amazing that, that you managed to do that I don't know yeah. it's amazing well they've been able to sleep with a girl but at least more than once I know exactly <laughs> or are they yeah, well I don't know no they're definitely mine <laughs> yeah. yeah they're big humans they're going to be big like me which for the lads is alright Phoebe, yeah. could, Phoebe could be six foot three I hope not <laughs> Netball. Well, runway model, mate. Could be a model. Well, very very could, true. Could be a model. If yeah, they all like look Bex. different now, the models, don't they? Yeah. Models, yeah. All shapes and sizes. All now. shapes and sizes. Not right? just, yeah, Beck's like the stereotypical model shape. She'll like us yeah. talking about it like that. There you go. Perfect. When you go to Italy, yeah. it was so funny. Do you remember when we were voice noting and I said, oh, I need to know about... Uh, Canoni yeah, yeah. and uh, Ruzza and yeah. Fischetti yeah, yeah, yeah. and hit me with some more. Well, which one do you want? Riccioni. Yeah, who, who, who's the hooker? Favretto, uh, Nicotero, Lucchese. Lucchese. Yeah. And you were sending me the voice notes and saying, right, this one. It, I <laughs> yeah. said, Guzzi, send me a voice note. And just because I was commentating that's on right, them, when right, they yeah. played um, Argentina, Uruguay, yeah. and the game they beat against Australia. Yeah. Not only did I get, oh, he's a good tackler, I got like a full profile. Uh, <laughs> Canoni looks like. Um, 
Oh, uh, Jake, Jake Paul. Paul. Jake, Jake Paul, Paul yeah. and uh, Roots looks like an avatar, which was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, 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 I said that to uh, Seb Negri as well. So thank you very much no, for that. No, 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 no. But they are going from strength to strength. Yeah. Like you, again, when we were talking about Italy last year, you saw it coming. You were yeah. like, yeah, there's some fantastic yeah. players coming through now. What has been the change in Italian rugby? Well, we had some good coaching. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think I think for definite that, I think Kieran uh, Crowley, who's, who's in charge, was the Benetton coach. Um, he, he, I think, has a very good environment. The boys talk very positively about the environment and not necessarily the freedom to play, but the, 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 there's no, and I suppose, no, no barrier to what they can do. He's, he's trying to lift the ceiling about uh, where Italian rugby can get to. So I think there's a freedom in terms of we can do something, we can do something. And because success at a regional level, Benetton has improved. The year before I joined, they didn't win a game. Last year, we ended up finishing seventh to ninth, I think, in the end. Um, you know, some big wins, beat Cardiff by 70 points. Which people win. forget, 70 points 70 against points Cardiff. Cardiff, mate, it's incredible, eh? Like mm. we said, if, if Leinster beat them by 70, it'd be a shock. But for Benetton, put 70 past them. Um, you know, defence, well, I was pleased, we were improving massively. And, and as I said, there's about six or seven really good young kids that have come through that are going to be a backbone of Italy for, uh, for, for a long time. They're not the Italy of 20 years ago, big dominant forward pack, but there's ball movement. You see how they attack. They've got some lovely attacking shape, um, confidence, and as I said, three or four really, really good young players that can can light the turf. You mentioned Michele Lamaro. Yeah. You, you earmarked him. Yeah. You might have even said it before. Yeah. I asked you last year, you said this kid is proper. Yeah. Because he was out injured for right. a large part. Yeah. He's from... It's like a gladiatorial stuff, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he's born in, over the back of the stadium in Rome. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, you see him, the way that he's taken to the leadership. What yeah. would he be now, 24, maybe a bit yeah, older? If that, mate. 23, oh, really? 23, 24, yeah. That's a young, yeah. young lad. He's just yeah. taken that captaincy yeah. like a duck to water. Yeah, and look, he, he's um, he's a bit like Wurzel, like Joe Wurzel in terms of how he tackles. He hits so hard, so low. He's got unbelievable stopping power, very, very low uh, error rate. And I think that people around him, because a lot of the group are also young, most of that Italian team is young, so they can all connect and resonate with them. And, and even the older players like Seb Negri and stuff, you know, likes Mitch. You can see how good he is and see he leads from the front, he put his body on the line. Kind of that sums up Italy, like they're so passionate, mate. They are literally before game, almost tears in their eyes that they're so, so proud to represent their country. So proud even to play for Benetton. Every week it's it's like an, an emotional charge for them. It's it's incredible. Yeah, you mentioned Benetton there. I know Zebra have been struggling a little bit. It seems like Benetton, well, they are. They're flying the flag for Italian rugby. Yep. One thing we were talking about off air yep. was around the finances in the game, but they've yep. got money in Italy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Benetton's, I mean, Zebra not so much, but Benetton, the family's worth eight billion. You know, they've, they've it got is money. the United Colours of Benetton. Do you remember the jumpers used yeah, to yeah, wear, the great yeah, jumpers yeah. back in the day? That's them. That's them. That's Still them. going strong. That's them, yeah. I think actually that side of it is their lowest income stream, the Benetton family. They actually own like the motorways, they own the service stations on the motorways. They've got so much property and real estate and different assets and businesses, obviously. Um, but yeah, they, they could if they wanted to. And the owner wants to put more money in. They could really do something because they've, they've got a base of something, all right? They, 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 I think they've only lost one game at home in probably a year and a half now. So at home, they're very hard to beat. Away, the difficulty is, like we found last year, last year we gave away 27 players to Italy, including the 20s, um, Italy A and Italy. So we played the URC games and we've got everyone else, you know, and it wasn't just the fact you're losing your first two centres, you were losing five centres. Losing five centres, seven back row, three hookers. 
so it just ripped out our team. You know, we, we just couldn't we couldn't find a way to win during those blocks. And again, now that they they got a close win against the Ospreys, uh, but again they've been losing, been losing during the Six Nations. It's just too tough, too tough when you lose that many players. Yeah, and culturally, and there's this talk around Scotland with the South Africa, well, all the teams, any South African influence in a team, you're going to be better for it. But yeah. there's a lot of Argentinians. There's in terms of scouting. Yeah. Uh, Sergio Parise is Argentinian yeah. by yeah. blood. Castro, well, we don't know what Castro is. Yeah. He's definitely not Italian, as we know now. <laughs> but there's an Argentinian backbone and that kind of history that goes back a long way that Italy are tapping into, right? Well, there's, um, there's uh, I suppose, a closeness in terms of lifestyle and, and, and personality type. So there's an instant connection. And a lot of Argentinians have Italian ancestry. So that's why there's, there's a lot of them come over for an experience and probably, again, income, revenue, because there's not a lot in Argentina to provide. So they end up coming over here and maybe they can't get into France because of GIF. They can't get to, the, to England because they haven't played a certain amount of uh, top, top flight rugby. So the only place they can gravitate to is in the URC. And as I said, the, the, the weather, the climate, the food, uh, the language comes very easy to them, you know. So that's probably why we see a large influx. And once you've got three or four boys from that area of the world, recruiting two or three more becomes easier. Becomes easier. Yeah. I, I love Italian rugby and people. I like, haven't spent a bit of time there. And anyone that I've played either with the Barbarians or yeah. like after Scotland games, yeah, I love it. The emotional side that they bring to the game and also like it's interesting you think of people like Michael Liner I yeah. think he's still got a play he's married yeah. to an Italian that's right that's right yeah uh, John Mitchell's got a house yeah. that Kieran Crowley lives in right yeah. yeah so once people go they either set up shop yeah maybe it's the grapper maybe it's can't be the, it can't be <laughs> the, the grapper that's awful mate it can't be <laughs> but yeah like it's interesting because of all the talk around the national team yeah shouldn't be in the Six Nations it should be Georgia even though Romania won the yeah. Europe B Cup last year or the year before but we are recording before they play Wales. Yeah, I'm happy to put it on the line. I think Italy will beat Wales. Yeah, in Rome. Yeah, I think I think Wales. You well. do. Yeah, I do. This is that Monday. I know. There's only two of us thinking this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think no. I, I think look, there's it's tough for Wales. I eh? like Wales. You know, if you look there, the the regions are struggling. They're really struggling. You know, to to get to continued success financially, they're struggling. And it's 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 going to be difficult for Wales, I think, for a period. Hopefully, Gatland obviously gets them stronger again. Um, he's got to find a, a playing style, I think, that will suit them, and identify maybe a group of players that he's going to have to back. And it's tough because it's the World Cup's around the corner, right? But he's going to have to find something fast, find something fast. But I, I think I think Italy beat them. If Italy don't beat them, like where where do you think that leaves them? Do you think all the talk and the energy they've built up over the Six Nations, that game against France, but they've lost Ange Kapowatsu? Yeah. Try that again. That's it. No, it's not Ange Kapuzzo. <laughs> I want to hear it again, though. Go on. Ange Kapuzzo. Okay. Go on. Go on. I think it's Kapuzzo. Kapuzzo probably is, I think, I think so. But I'm not sure. No, you you said, got... it, it said it with such authenticity. I thought maybe I'm wrong here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, don't we've know. been called out a few times. Yeah. And people be like, Ange Kapuzzo. Yeah. It sounds better, does it? But it's not. It's like no. a... Ange. Ange. He's full of Ange. Yeah. Full of Ange, yeah. No. He's some player. He, what's he out with shoulder? He shoulder, I think it is, yeah. yeah. Like he, I mean, he's unbelievable for Toulouse as well. You he's know, tiny. He's, he's tiny, mate. Ow. No, he's so fast. Mm. We signed a Fijian boy, mate. I, I've never seen anyone move as fast in rugby field as this kid. You know, I, I'd say probably the fastest. Whenever I spoke to any player, you know, this guy, you're marking him, they always said Reece Samet. So he's the fastest person. Like Johnny May is like crazy fast, mm. right? I mean, Gloucester produced some real fast wingers, Sharples, those kind of guys. But Reece Samet is the fastest thing they face in the field. This Fijian boy signed, mate. 
Honestly, what's I, his name? Go on, <laughs> Penny, Penny, Penny Assi. Is it? It was first name's Penny Assi. Okay. Uh, where where we signed him for? Dakuaka. And where's he at? Where have you signed? He was from the Cook Islands. Yeah. He, was a, he played a bit sevens, not really played. He played a bit of rugby league as well, actually, but his first professional contract, he started for us against uh, Toulon the weekend where, where we lost. We didn't play very well. But he's now played four games, I think, in his professional career, but he is so fast. Really? Like, so fast. Try and say his name again just for the... Peniasi Dakuwaka. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Like Jim Hamilton. It's easy. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. Paul. Paul. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, easy. Over. Done. You look at these lads play. Like we played with the two Alangis yeah, at Leicester. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think? I know we are segueing slightly, but I love I love talking about these the late Sarah Rambini. Yeah, yeah. Like Obviously the list so, is yeah. the list is endless. Yeah. Of these players. Um, like you're well read, I know. So yeah. you might know a little bit more about maybe like the genetics. Yeah. I'd love to go there and I'd x-ray them and like yeah. take their blood and their DNA and just see what, I mean, their feet. I, I remember, <laughs> I just remember like Seru in the change rooms. Yeah. He just had these massive wide feet. The two Alangis, like their feet are busting over the yeah. boots. Yeah. It's incredible. They it? are built for contact sport. Yeah. Incredible. And, and if you actually watch, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing some um, international camp training for like Tonga. Mate, they like fly into each other. Like you've never seen, mate. Like, barreling each other smashing each other then afterwards all hugs it's it, it, they just love the contact because physically they can do it right look at us yeah two, two old white dudes right like mm. you know we're just not built to do contact sport to the level that you can these guys have muscle mass bone density uh explosive tissue it's it's incredible some of the athletes around yeah absolutely all right let me ask you a question yes, i saw please. this the thing mate hong kong ambassador Yes. For the sevens. Quarter Chinese. Well, I know this. I know this. So are you going over to be like a post or something? Are you going to be one of the posts oh, kick through? I'm not playing. <laughs> well, I didn't think you are going to play, but what are you going to, what is it you going to do? So I have to go there and speak a little bit of Cantonese. Right. So Nehoma. Do you know what that means? No, but please tell me. Hello. That means okay. hello. Sick fan. Uh, bye-bye. No, it means eat. Oh, okay. To eat or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So to speak a bit of okay. Cantonese, it might be Mandarin. I can't remember where my family are from. But no, I'm a, an ambassador for the union. Right. So I've been going back and forth. Well, I say back and forth, I haven't been since pre-COVID. But yeah. I underplayed myself there, understated it. I said I weren't playing. Yeah. I actually am. So well, I'm, the, the tens? Yeah, the tens. Okay. But it's a touch, thank, right. thankfully. Yeah. So yeah, myself, yeah. I'm captain of one team. Goody's captain of another team. It's quite sad, actually, because three years ago, it might have been four, but I think it was three years ago before COVID, we played a stand-up to cancer game. Yeah. And I had Tom Smith on my team. And right. this is before he knew yeah. that he had cancer. Doddy was there yeah. with MND, but there was this big kind yeah. of hysteria around it and energy around raising money. And Doddy was there and Tom was there. We didn't know. So to go back, and I'm going back at the end of March, will be quite weird, really, because we're doing an event mm. for Doddy on the Wednesday. We're doing another tens touch game. Um, and the last one we played in, Tom was there. So I've brought, obviously, I've brought the mood down slightly. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I just, I mean, I'm just thinking of Doddy there when you talk, talk about what a, what a legacy he's left. Yeah. Eh? Incredible. Yeah. I was Incredible. at Ed Slater's testimonial on Saturday. Yeah, God, in uh, but I, How is he? How's he doing? Struggling a bit. Yeah. Mate, really tough. Uh, I don't know. Like Rob Burrow's yeah. documentary on BBC, I can't watch it. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a denial, not a denial, but it's just kind of, yeah, you just 
don't want to see it, do you? No, no, it's it's tough. It's tough, isn't it? I, I, obviously, I said I think how Doddy, how Doddy lived his last years, he lived like what he's done for awareness is game changing. Yeah, game really changing. Is. Like he's he's obviously as we know larger than life character, um, but he's left something larger than his own life now. He's yeah, left, he's left a massive footprint, um, and and hopefully helps. And you know, seeing I speak to Kevin Sinfield a little bit, and and. Um, seeing the work he's done with Robert, we talk about friendship, we talk about being human. What this guy's done oh, is no friend. It's better example. Incredible, mate. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? I, I go, shit, that's friendship, eh? That's 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 what the game of rugby's given him. Mm. He's given someone that's his, his, his best friend and he's willing to do what he's willing to do to try and help support and raise awareness and, and, and raise funds and raise stuff for treatment. It's incredible. Like These guys have done something remarkable with their own lives as a rugby players, but what they're actually doing to to to, to the world is 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 far greater. Yeah. It's far greater, yeah. No, it's crazy. I've been across a lot of the stuff that the My Name's Doddy Foundation have mm. done, like fundraisers, like Rob Wainwright, like mm. phenomenal human mm. as well. And we did a, a close-off event in Edinburgh at the start of the Six Nations. Closed off. Closed off. Closed off. Or is it clothes off? Closed off. Oh, it was closed off by thought, the end. I thought it was risky, mate. Yeah, Rob Wainwright <laughs> does get a bit loose. Oh, does he? And um, it was great. And yeah. the fact that we're laughing and joking about yeah. it was what Jill Douglas said. So Jill Douglas just stood up to the, the group of people that were there, and some of them were fundraisers. Yeah. Uh, some of them were people that had, had been involved in some of the campaigns, whether or not it was raising money or just physically turning up and putting their profile behind it. And the one thing that she said, the do- the legacy of Doddy, yeah. um, is obviously raising funds and raising awareness. But in doing so, the way that he did it, which was with love, yeah. with laughter, with humor, which we yeah. did, yeah. with humor and with hope. Yeah. And then three things yeah. that she said, it was like so true. Like yeah. that's how yeah. he did it. That mm-hmm. is how he did it. And like it takes a special human to yeah. be able to do that yeah. and and to and to be in that process and you know ed was sat in that same yeah. seat that you're in and ravo was in that one after we did a 350 mile bike ride and when you're in it and you're with yeah. the people it doesn't seem real you know yeah. you could just carry on day to day and it's like and you've got your own problems like the kids are moaning and you're yeah. shouting at the kids and yeah. whatever you're tired from traveling and then the whole thing around life is perspective right but it just feels like this MND stuff feels so close to home now. Yeah, and I don't. And then people yeah. are saying, "Oh, it's you, you get people who know nothing, or they might know something, yeah. but they're just saying it shooting from the hip." Yeah, is it rugby related because it's neurological, which yeah. they don't think it is. There's a load of studies that yeah. have gone in saying yeah. that it's potentially you're predisposed to a gene yeah. when stress from exercise is put involved in that. That's why you see more athletes, yeah. but you do. Yeah, you know, like you see that, you see Rob, you see Doddy, yeah, used Van der Vestes and yeah. yeah, and now Slates. I don't, I don't remember uh, Jared Cunningham. Yeah, Jared Cunningham. I joined London Irish just as he he was leaving to Wasps, but he went to went to Wasps, and I remember I had a conversation with him shortly after. He um, he said he went to try and catch a ball. He kept dropping the ball, and this guy had unreal skills. Like he was a beautiful rugby player, and then he went and got diagnosed, and yeah, the same. It's, it's tragic. He tr- he tried everything. You know, you spoke about your um, uh, thyroid. He tried the same thing with his diet, different medicines, uh, went completely organic, completely. This is back in 2001, too, you know. And tragic, people leave us too early. No, it's crazy. Like Slates was saying that because he was out with a broken foot Mm. and he was trying to get back for that and he was getting twitches in his arms Mm. and 
he was on a stag do with Ben and Tom Youngs, yeah. whose cousin had MND while he was at the stag do and they were talking about the symptoms. Ed was like, well, how did you know? And he, he was like, oh, my arm was twitching in the night and stuff like that. And off that, Slate's self-diagnosed because you don't get diagnosed yeah. with MND. Yeah. Everything gets ticked off that you haven't got this, you haven't yeah. got that. It's a process yeah. of elimination. Right. And so he said he knew well before he got diagnosed that that was the case. So he was like doing press-ups and he yeah. had like this weightlifting gripper that he yeah. was gripping. He was just in complete denial. Like he'd be going to the gym to try and get back to play and he and he couldn't, like in some position, he couldn't lift up the dumbbell. But once it was up, he was you okay. know, bench pressing 50 kgs. I just can't imagine the mental trauma of that. And we yeah. were chatting about it, me and Ravo on the phone. It's like yeah. you go to these big fundraising dinners yeah. And then rightly so, because that, you know, we, we, you've got to keep it upbeat. Of course, of course. I mean, the difficulty is, there's all these people like, you know, when you play with it. So, so there's a, there's a reality and there's a, um, cause it's so close to home, mm. it hurts more, right? Yeah. So people obviously are aware of some of these figures, but if you've played with them and you've, you'll have packed alongside Doddy, you'll have played with some of these guys, right? It's, it's actually like you, you, you you've seen them. You've seen them, you've seen, you know, their family, you know, this, you know, that, and it's, it's makes it re very real to you. And also... I think highlights your own fragility, you know, which is scary for people. I was listening to something the other day and um, they're talking about how long do you think your parents will live for, for example, and say, oh, well, the, the 75, maybe 10 years, 10 years, okay. So in 10 years, you've got 10 more years with your family and you go, okay, yeah, you've got 10 more years, maybe. They goes, but in that 10 years, how many times would you normally see them? Maybe once, twice a year. So in reality, you haven't got 10 more years with them, with people. You've actually got 20 more times and that's it. Yeah. And when I when I was listening to that, I was going, shit. Like there's a there's a deeper understanding. Like time is 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 one sense, but actually it's the moments you're looking for. And actually trying to trying to we talk about connecting with people, like trying to understand like tomorrow might all end. So don't don't walk through and and uh you know I said before, regret the things that you do do rather than the ones you don't. Make a choice, live with it, get on with it, and, and try and see people. So for me with the family thing. Being away in Paris, it's in stuff. It's it's again more real to me. I've gone well, maybe eighteen more times. And again, I think because our net is casted so wide, mm. you know, losing Sarah Rambini yeah. to a heart attack, Stephen Booth to a yeah. heart attack, yeah. Tom Tierney the other yeah. day, yeah. like it's 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 crazy. I I, try, I can't go deep no. into these things. Like I just mind wanders. Yeah. You know what what's next and. You worry, don't you? you yeah, worry. you do. You Especially know. with kids and stuff. Yeah. Like you saw me as a young lad, yeah. I was pretty wild, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a <laughs> that's a fair way to say it. Probably. <laughs> I think it's a kind way to say it. It's yeah. a kind way to say it. Yeah, I was fast and Reck loose, reckless. Reckless, reckless. Was reckless. Was reckless. Yeah, it reckless. was so funny. Had Dino in here, and yeah. I was in. I think he'd almost put up, put up the blinkers. He can't remember. He's like, oh, you weren't that bad. I was thinking, oh, we were a little bit. Yeah, bit loose. Well, I mean. The amount of times Dean probably has helped people out. It's and he, he wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't talk about he it. It was won't. incredible, eh? Yeah, he's a copper. He, he was like straight. Yeah. He, so I'm chatting. It was it was like an interview. This yeah. podcast is conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just sat there and he, he, yeah, he was like straight laced. But do I find, obviously, from from that group of people in Leicester, you see how people are in the game or doing things. People are doing some really cool things. Look at like Leon. Mm. Like Leon, one of the one of the best. If you talk about human connecting people, he is the best social networker for for everything. Yeah. But again, generally cares about people. Generally cares about Leicester Tigers. Loves that period of of his life and keeps everyone connected all the time. I think I think it's incredible what he does there. You know. Uh, but that group of people, 
Leon now the the is it the best speaking system? But yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the speaker, the leadership Dean, things. Dino and Jordan does it, right? Oh yeah, I didn't yeah. know Dino does it. I, think, I know I think Jordy Dino, does. Yeah, I think Dino did it with him. Yeah. Obviously, Dino sometimes talks a bit quieter, so maybe projecting his voice will help at times. But uh, like Dean would be a fascinating person to be a host of something, wouldn't he? His the stories he's had, the career that he lived, um, some of the stories he read about and heard about when when I was growing up, it's just bonkers yeah absolutely bonkers um with his mate ross kemp and so on you know like some great stories like dean would be brilliant if he can get something out of him you know well that's the thing the delivery of speaking i don't know if you remember at saracens mm. the players well you will remember i don't know if you remember me i always used to get really nervous mm. speaking i actually still do yeah and it was never something natural mm. to me like the conversation was i loved speaking to people and having yeah. a crack but getting up in front of a room like you said, I remember Peely did it after you and he was shitting himself, <laughs> sweating like mad. That's just because he's overweight, mate. It's nothing else. I know. Yeah, it's yeah. diet related. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not an easy skill, is it? It's not. I mean, there is, again, this old thing, isn't it, where people get nervous speaking. It's because yeah. you're having to save yourself from being killed and, and yeah. speak to the powers that be to save your life and yeah. this historic stuff. But it's not an easy skill. It's it, but it is a skill, right? It is, it is a skill. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's when you when you stand up there as a player and you can talk in a group in a circle in a huddle. But when all these chairs are facing you, and you're trying to put your thinking in them, so it doesn't matter what I know; it's what they can understand, right? So fundamentally, me talking about something, all I'm trying to do is is get some light bulb moments in people's heads that they can all connect at the same time with the same thought about what we want. So it's actually checking for their understanding, and and the more. I've done it the more I present, the more I talk, the more I found ways that work for me, the more I find ways I think that work for them. And, and that's that's the most important thing because I want to be authentic to me and how I present, but I also need to be uh, genuine and I also need to be relevant for them because they're the ones playing the game, right? It doesn't, mm. doesn't matter what I do. Mm. Um, how do you do that in French? Because when you say a line in French... Yeah the tense and the context can be the same for a load of different things. Yeah. Is it, are you sounding like Borat when you're doing it or not? <laughs> placage, yeah, maintenant. Yeah, 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 placage, placage. Uh, no, I, I would say, I would say things like that are very rugby specific because you can learn, you can learn them off, you know, like uh, if you want to need to say straight in defense um, or you need to, you need to watch the ball or so. Regarde, regarde, regarde la ballon, regarde la ballon, regarde la ballon, rest it what, stay straight, stay yeah. straight, stay straight. Um, but, but all those kind of, I can say, but obviously, as you know, I, I can't tell stories and metaphors and analogies and stuff. So I, I do that in English. Most of the guys understand English. Some are very fluent and, and bilingual, but of course the dream is to be able to do this in French at some stage, but it's just going to take time. You know, I, I put pressure on myself to learn and I'm trying, I'm doing lessons and I'm doing the online stuff and I'm reading in French and I try and watch a bit of French TV and listen to French radio and I'm immersed because I'm there. But listening to somebody talk, like if someone didn't understand English and just listened to you and I talk and they only know a few words, how do they pick up the entire sentence? You, you, you're waiting for context. You're waiting for something that resonates with you to try and then go, okay, that's what we're talking about. So sometimes I get a little bit lost because I pick up the wrong word and it goes the wrong way. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I can just present in English. Then maybe in a year's time, I can start telling a story, which I'll probably just learn verbatim and then can recite it and off I go from there. What about your coaching techniques? How that's had to evolve and change? So just go, again, going back, mm. back in the day, one high, one low. Yeah. So you've seen all these high collisions across the the globe yep. still. 
Yeah. You can pick out any tournament you're still seeing. And people keep saying, especially online, how are the players' behaviours not changing? Yeah. So as a coach, one high, one low, that's what we used to do. So yep. one chop tackle, one yep. high, and type the ball. We're still seeing this, I hate using the word choke tackle, yep. but yep. it's still out there. As a coach, how are you coaching the tackle area? And do you see why people are not understanding why there's been no behavioural changes in players? I think I think there is ch- change. Change doesn't happen overnight because we we know that uh, it's it's a learned skill for people tackling. And for years they've learned about going a bit high, killing the ball, locking the ball up, or, or anything like that. Also, physically, people are different, right? So some guys are naturally that are your height, seven foot. Okay, try and tackle very very low. It's an awkward thing to do. Your your low tackle is going to be my waist, you know, or my stomach. Whereas someone that's shorter naturally can go a little bit lower. So. I kind of preach now. We go like Lejean. We just go for legs, legs, legs. But naturally, there's a there's a height difference between different people. Marcus Kramer is going to tackle a bit higher because that's how he tackles naturally. All the work you do off the field, uh, low grade tackle techniques, skill, uh, wrestling skills, grappling skills, um, stuff on mats, stuff off mats, um, decision making, late late change direction to a tackle type thing. All of that is completely different when you go into a game. So. You could make anyone a leg tackler in, in training, but they go into a game, fast moving, fatigue, duress, stress, uh, context of the game, winning, losing, uh, different type of kick chase, uh, scramble back. Everything is so different that that one technique you start developing goes out the window to what's, what, what is natural, what is natural to you. Yeah, because the one that a lot of players get done on, which I would have got done on loads, mm. is that adjusting defender. Mm. So the one where you step in, so the yeah. tackle's being made. Yeah. And you have to adjust and step in, and you're already upright. Yeah. So, like, as in, I suppose now it's as a coach, you're coaching people not to step in. You can put your body there. Yeah. As a shield, but open up chest first or not? I mean, yeah, we, we, we I, I still try and get them to adjust, but go for legs. Mm. Obviously, the, the 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 downside to this is the potential head on head because you've got two people going on the same entry point. Yeah. And that's that's the risk. And from a defensive point of view, if two guys are going low, then people can still play the ball. So you open up to offload, so then you have to adjust more from the outside, bring defence in to close around the ball, and then you have to move them back out again, which is time. And if speed of ball is fast, then you're under pressure. Which some people will say is a positive, and that's why they're doing it. And and this comes, of course, the thing, doesn't it, around a coach's perspective. And, and chatting to Billy Vanapola, he was saying when you play against Bundiaki or yeah. you know a really powerful Manu Tuolangi yeah. in, in his prime. Yeah. You go low to a sober. Yeah. You go low on these lads, you're getting sat down. Yeah. And with that, you might get a, a head-on hit or yeah. you might get someone else coming in low yeah. and adjusting and yeah. it's head-on head. There's no easy fixes there, but I just think it's yeah. interesting around coaching terminology and yeah. how you, having coached and still coaching at the highest level, yeah. with these international rock stars who know how to tackle, yeah. but what the conversations are like to improve that part of it. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, firstly, there's good conversations around it because th- there's an awareness. We can't afford to lose a yellow card, red card, and more importantly, we can't afford to have people getting damaged to the head. So we we are talking about stronger, more robust technique, but it, it's, it's, again, how much contact we can do in a week on top of the game in season. It just takes time to develop a skill. To me, as you know, it, it's, it's different, but they are open to the idea of going low. Everyone go low, go low. Some athletes are, are perfectly predisposed for that anyway. Brody Retallick. 100%. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the people say, look at the, oh, Brody Retallick, he goes low. Well, Eben Etzebeth yeah. doesn't. And yeah. Everyone's different, yeah. right? Everyone, and that's, that's why the game's for all shapes, all sizes. 
you know it, it's it's a sport for all that's what we say so everyone's gonna have a different strength different weakness something else to work on something that they bring to the game and you have to accept them for that as long as they are protected and safe and we protect the other person they're tackling then that's the best we can do i think can you see why france are the number one team in the world being in the capital coaching stade Francais? <laughs> uh yeah. No, yeah, no. You paused. You yeah. can. Well, I, I, I don't like saying number one when I'm English, mate. I don't, I, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a, there's a, and obviously our mates coaching them now, isn't he? So I kind of, obviously, desperate for England to do well. Desperate for England to do well. I'm an Englishman. I'm a proud Englishman, and um, you know, I want England to be number one, of course. But I can see, I can see why France are going to be very, very competitive at home, like very hard to beat um, in in the World Cup. Ireland, of course. I think are oh, the ranked number one at the moment, I think, but Ireland are obviously on fire. And it's a Northern Hemisphere World Cup with three big Northern Hemisphere teams that all have a good chance, I think. And then probably, probably you've got the usual two from the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa and New Zealand. But but I, I kind of fancy one of the Northern Hemisphere teams winning it. Really? Yeah. So tell me more about France and why you can see. There's definitely some evolution in terms of their, their playing style. They also, I think the training, the training tough. The training tough again, maybe a little bit, you know, last kind of hurrah before the build up towards the World Cup as well. So getting some good training in now that they hope for down the road. I think w one thing we see that they they have probably conservatively five world class players, and I think even going back to Clive Woodward would say you need five world class players to win a World Cup, and I think France, you can see they've got genuine, genuine world class players. Can I guess the five? Go on. Well, the obvious one at nine yeah. in DuPont. You're going to say, I think Charles Olivon is. I yeah. don't know. Have you, I think he's amazing. Really? Okay, amazing. that's good. Okay, he yeah. is. He's amazing. How big is he? I didn't realise yeah, he was mate. that big. He's big, mate. Yeah. He's engine. Yeah. Engine. Yeah, he hasn't been as good. I yeah. know he had some, yeah. a stand-down period yeah. in, with Toulon. He got injured, didn't he? That's right, yeah. Gregory Audrey? I, I really like, I mean, he's, he's great. I'm not sure world-class. Very, very good, obviously. But yeah, not not for me. Keep going. Cyril Bai? No. No, I'm going to keep going. That's why you don't need to say yes. <laughs> Penno, without doubt. Without a doubt. Without a He's doubt. The, he is that good, isn't he? He is incredible, yeah. mate. Yeah. And and as well, for both sides of the ball, mm. obviously attack-wise, it's incredible. I remember watching Wasp play, um, Wasp play Clermont a few years ago at um, at uh, Wasp home ground. And Wasp were winning. But every time Penno got the ball, Something happened, and what ended up happening, Clement win the game in the last last minute, but Pano, every single action that led to territory, uh, occupation, momentum, everything was through Pano. Yeah. I think this guy is incredible. Every, everyone says that, goes As in, you speak to yeah. anyone who knows yeah. what they're talking about. So I'm just piggybacking what they're yeah. saying, but yeah. I watch him, both sides Terrible. of the ball. I think him and Will Jordan are the best two-wingers in the world. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. exciting. So we've got DuPont, we've got Olivon, yeah. we've got Pano. Yeah. I don't think Intermac is. Are you saying no? I'm no, not saying. Okay, no, that's no, fine. No, no. <laughs> I don't know who else. Well, do you, I mean, he, is he injured at the minute, or has he been playing? No, no, playing, playing for France at the minute. Playing, Marchand, yeah. Marchand, who can? Marchand. Yeah. Marchand. What did I say? Marchand, 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 Marchand. Marchand. Marchands who we're signing. Yeah. Marchand is them. Marchand. So to keep Camel Shat out of yeah, the name, he was incredible. Right? <laughs> I, yeah, incredible. I mean, so strong. Yeah, so strong. So Marchand, I, I would think. agree. You go in second row, Wookie or not? He's injured. He's, no, he's not been playing, eh? No. No, I, I, I tell you, by, by the side though, there's a lock you you would love him. He's called Paul Gabriel, who's he's, he's the captain of Stade Francais. Mm. Played for France quite a few times, but he's out of the picture. But how he is not playing international rugby, mate? He's, is he world class? He, uh, he's incredible. 
Okay. He's incredible. I think he's I think he's brilliant. Um, you know, he, he's a proper English lock. Mm. He's like Cruzy. He's yeah. like Cruzy, like line-out wise, work rate, engine. Like eight, nine out of ten out of everything. Everything. Yeah. But like every week fronts up, mate. Every mm. week fronts up. Uh, tops tackle counts, tops rocks hit. Work rate is just insane. Line out stealing three, four a game. Like he's a, a brilliant, brilliant player, but doesn't play for France. Yeah. I I, I also go, I'd say on a, on a, on a world-class thing, I would say like Mafana. I think Mafana, really? I think Mafana has got something special, mate. Mm. Like he's not, it'd be, be unfair to say he is world-class maybe, but I think he has the potential to be that. He's, he's so strong through his hips. Um, he's got great acceleration, lovely little feet. So I think somewhere around those kind of guys we spoke about, They've got a spine of a team that can be pretty, pretty rock solid. I, I quite like Charlie Bear as well. Like the, they're the fly off they have, but they don't play. They're so good, aren't they? The French players. If you could pick one player in the world, then goes to say you had the money ball and you're like, right, I want him to be anyone. Big question. Big question. Someone who's gone downhill a little bit. Be good to get a bit of insight. You might know where I'm going with this. Maro. Maro. Maro's just not been the same, has he? Mm. Recently, I don't want to put too much pressure on the lad. Yeah. But we obviously know him quite yeah. well or whatever. He goes but, all right though, doesn't he? But mate, I say <laughs> he I say he's right gone downhill. He's gone down to an eight out of, yeah, eight yeah. Out of ten every I, week. I, I, but how good is he one? Oh that, that that I mean, you talk about that team, even England, but you talk about the Saracens team, they do have four or five incredible, incredible players. Like like Owen, mate. Like Owen is as good a player in the world mm. as anyone for me. Like he's incredible. Um who would I take? Who would I take? Like, who's the most integral? Because it's probably can't like yeah. I mean, I know every position is, mm. but you know, if people talk about a nine, like a nine's yeah. everything. He's linked between yeah. the forwards and the backs. Someone's yeah. like Dupont. Not only is he a leader and high profile, so he brings in a bit of money yeah. as well around yeah. that. Doing Vogue magazine, yeah, yeah. But he holds up, he holds up Mac Hansen. That ridiculous yeah, 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 thing, yeah, yeah. like yeah. he's just, he's a bit of everything. I'd have Dupont. He'd be the one yeah. at the minute. It depends which team you're at, though, doesn't it? If I like Hardy Surveyor. Yeah, again, crazy, crazy. crazy yeah, I like, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like a crazy man. But as yeah. a coach, one you get one player because. For for the team I'm at now, no, no, as in yeah, for the team you're at now because you won him. Yeah. Then it's relevant, right? Yeah. It's relevant because I think of the st- so we've got loads of good forwards. I think so. Although there's a someone like him would make a difference to us. So there, I think probably I would go Will Jordan. Really? Yeah. You want him, don't you? There, like there's him, a little yeah. seed there there's going in. There, yeah, Just put yeah. Him in. Try and get, get the checkbook out. Exactly. Get him across. I think he's. I think he's a potentially once in a. Once in a generation type of player, you know. I think he's that good. Good looking lad as well. Yeah, he's got it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit life. Yeah, I know. Shit life. You can see he's got everything. (laughs) Lastly, because England going into the World Cup under a rebuild. Yeah. The irony that you coach Steve and now he's the boss. Yeah. Um, the way these things work is amazing. It's obviously class as well. Yeah. What are the expectations really like? If you see that England team, how much pressure should be put on him to deliver? And if delivering something, what is that something? England definitely have the ability to win the World Cup. Pure and simple. We've got we've got the players, we've got the talent, good coaching group. England have got the potential to win the World Cup. So I think the expectation um, will be to, to 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 win the World Cup. I think that would generally be the expectation in the camp. And what do you think they'll do? Well, it's hard because it's a knockout. Once it's you get to hard. the quarters, it's so tough. I know it's, it's so a bit tough. of a shit question. They get, they, get, they get through easy enough. The, the group, I think. I don't think they have a problem with the group. And lastly. With Australia, Eddie Jones, will he turn yeah. them around? Again, if you if you actually look at the Super Rugby, the, the Australian teams are playing good footy. Mm. There's actually something going on there. Um, he needs everyone that could play for them fit to be fit. 
if he, if he loses two or three players, I think the, the depth of players, they don't have the same depth as some of the other countries do. But in short, yes, I think I think it makes a difference fast. I, I generally do. Um, whether that'll be long-term, we'll see. But I think initially, obviously, the results for Australia have been quite average. And I think we'll see a more positive result from, from Eddie's Australia. But you think Scotland are going to win the World Cup, don't you? Scotland, no. 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 You, know, you know I'm a bit Scottish, don't you? How much Scottish are you? Well, it's enough, enough to be Scottish. And a 75 capper. I could have been, well, maybe I could have been a 75 capper, but I could have played. When I played for the Barbos one time, I was out with uh, Kenny and Gregor. And that makes you Scottish? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drank some whiskey, I drank some whiskey. No, but they're like, oh, you, you're from Newcastle. And I said, yeah, my, my granddad. Because I played for England A at that stage. Yeah, it was different then. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go and play for Scotland. Shame. Yeah. Well, okay. we, we wouldn't be here, though. If that would have happened, no. the way that life works, the old sliding doors. Exactly, mate. Exactly. But, um, you know, again, to play in Tasha Rugby, mate, is in Tasha Rugby, right? Mm. So if, I, if the door was closing on England, which was starting to close for me, then the opportunity to have played in Tasha Rugby would have been someone I would have been interested in. I don't feel Scottish. That would be one thing. I feel English. But, you know, neither did Dave Hilton. <laughs> but he, did he, I don't know if he felt he, did, he definitely weren't Scottish no he wasn't Scottish was he well I'm half Scottish and well, feel Scottish go. I live in Scotland Skew, yeah. Scottish Chinese and English apparently and Cov hybrid Cov hybrid Cov's not really English no it's, it's not it's a, different, no. it's, a, it's a different part of society there yeah very is yeah very is there you go yeah. we'll leave it on that very yeah. is that's Coventry because <laughs> he absolutely loved it mate yeah, uh, good, good luck with this season with Stade Francais and uh who knows where it's going to go, but we're yeah. going to jump back in the studio again soon. Good, man. And you, man. I'm excited for you, man. I'm excited Thanks for the next much. opportunity, buddy. You've done really well. I'm really happy. Cheers, you. mate. Good Thank man. you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.